That last video uh, was awesome. I, I took that out of the, the concept of legacy. You know, um, I don't get to see adults that much. And so, uh, first off, let me say I'm excited to see adults here today. And so, <laughs> um, but the kids, they, they keep me feeling young back there and uh, being a police officer myself. Uh, I get to see a lot of, uh, you know, terrible things sometimes in our communities. When I get to come here on Sunday, I just leave refreshed and recharged because of the, uh, uh, they're, they're just innocence and they're just, uh, they're just fun, loving nature, you know. And so, but, but yesterday at the conference, uh, I couldn't help but think of legacy. And I thought, what a privilege I have. And I, I got to thank the church for allowing me to do this, but to, to be part of the children's ministry and to uh, be able to minister to them and speak into their lives. A statistic I heard here recently was that um, 83% of people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior between the ages of 17 and 14. 83%. So I can't imagine a better place to focus our efforts in the children's ministry. Before I get into the message, I just want to plug out there. If you're interested in serving the children's ministry, let me know. We're looking for the best of the best. But I'm excited about today's message um, because it is a message of remembrance, but it's a message that um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to take to heart, so much so that when we leave this place, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has a very special purpose for each and every one of us. You know, this time of year has been a time that, uh, for the last 14 years, that we've set aside to honor our heroes, to honor those firefighters, those police officers, public safety personnel, the ones that, uh, that go out and serve every single day. And I think about the September 11th tragedy a lot because, having been a police officer myself, this November will be my 24th year as a police officer. I had the opportunity to go up to the Pentagon shortly after and, and see some of the damage there as we prepped. We weren't sure if they might be a secondary attack here in the Richmond area, so we wanted to make sure that we were safe and secure down here. And I remember going up there and, and, and talking to folks and uh, um, seeing the, the, the heroism of so many people, so many citizens as well, so many people that we might say, this is an ordinary guy, but yet he saw a need and he did something extraordinary. You know, on September 11th, 3,000 people lost their lives. But over 25,000 people were saved because of the efforts of so many involved. So many that said, hey, there's a need. Let's step forward and let's handle the need. So today, as Pastor Gary said, we honor those brave men and women. We honor those that gave their lives for another person. Those that gave their lives to keep us safe. But however, today, I want to also honor those unsung heroes. The ones that work behind the scenes. The ones that we don't hear about. How many of us remember United Airlines Flight 93? That was the one that was also uh, potentially heading toward the White House or the Capitol building. It had taken off, and about 46 minutes into the flight, some terrorists took over the, the cockpit, and they were trying to steer the plane back to one of those destinations. The passengers on board this plane realized something was going on, and they determined, you know what? I'm not going to allow this to happen. So they tried to overpower the terrorists, and then about 130 miles northwest of Washington, D.C., the airplane crashed. Now, these weren't, uh, weren't soldiers. They weren't firefighters. They weren't police officers. These were everyday, ordinary, average citizens. And I was thinking to myself, did they ever expect that they would be called to do something extraordinary? Will these ordinary folks be called to, to step forward and, and, and do something that we would consider extraordinary, having not been called? If I asked them, I said, hey, before you get on this flight, I need you to know something. Today, you're going to go and battle terrorists. What do you think they would have said? 
I'm going to take the next flight. You know, they saw something, they stepped forward, and they did it. And that's exciting, and that's encouraging because that reminds me, that reminds, I think, each one of us that when we see a need, we have the opportunity to do something extraordinary. When you're a child of God, you're anything but ordinary. And that's the focus of the message today. That's, that's kind of where I want to dig in. That's where I want to unpack. And I'd like to begin this by sharing with you a story that comes out of the book of Acts chapter 3. Now, we're going to be getting into the book of Acts chapter 4 and digging in there. But if you want to turn to Acts chapter 3, you'll kind of follow along with me as I summarize a series of events this morning. Now, it starts out in Acts chapter 3. It's a story about Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, they're traveling to the temple to worship. And they see this man that's at the temple gate. This man is a cripple. He's been a cripple for about 40 years. He's there. He's begging for money. And the apostle Peter sees this man. He gets his attention. And he realizes what the man wants. The man wants money. That's what he did every single day. But Peter looks at him and he says, Silver and gold I have none, but what I can give you is this. And so he looks at this man and he says, In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man was healed. Now, this miracle attracted a lot of attention because many knew this crippled man. This was a man that was at the temple gate for so many years. They were very familiar with his ailment. But now this man, this 40-plus-year-old man, was walking. And so the crowd began to form because they knew that a miracle of God had happened. This crowd begins to form, and, and Peter, realizing this, begins to preach a message, and the message is simple. The first thing he says, he says, don't marvel as though I did something amazing. This miracle was done by the power of Jesus Christ. He begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the crowd gets larger and larger. But guess what? It also draws the attention of some Jewish leaders, some Jewish authorities. And these Jewish leaders were the very same men who crucified Jesus Christ. They approach Peter and John and they ask him, they say, by what power and what authority have you healed this man? And once Peter again declares that it was not me that I've, I've healed this man, but it was by the power of Jesus Christ, these Jewish leaders begin to get concerned. Oh no, we thought we'd handle this when we crucified Jesus. It's spreading, we haven't stopped it. And so now they begin to scheme and figure out, what do we do here now? And that's where we actually begin. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we'll be in verses 13 through 22. And let's please stand out of reverence to reading of the Lord's Word. Acts chapter 14, verses 13 through 22. In verse 13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing 
have been performed. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters that are here with a a fervent desire to hear your word, to praise and to worship you. Father, I pray this morning that the things that are said are not from me, Lord, but they're from directly you. I pray, Father, that we are drawn closer to you through your word, that we can feel your holy presence in this place. And I pray, Father, when we leave this place, we are encouraged, passionate, and empowered to tell the world about Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Peter and John had just been used in an outstanding miracle. This man was lame. He was crippled. He was at this temple gate for over 40 years begging for money. Through the power of God, this man is healed, and many people are seeing this. There's no way you can deny this miracle. Everybody has seen this now. The Jewish authorities drag Peter and John to them to interview them, to interrogate them. Peter tells them, it's by the name of Jesus Christ that, I, that this man has been healed, not by me. And so in verse 13, these Jewish leaders, seeing Peter and John, say this. They say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. Now I love this verse. Because the high priest and and these Jewish leaders, they were amazed that these ordinary men, these blue-collar workers, these fishermen, could have been involved in such a mighty working of God. It didn't make sense to them. They weren't religious leaders. They weren't trained in the best seminaries and, and, and educated like the rest of them. They weren't the elite. These were everyday common men, ordinary men, being used by God in a mighty way. Fishermen, blue collar workers. And when I thought about that, I thought to myself, you know what these guys are doing? They're looking at Peter and John, and aren't they judging a book by its cover? How many times do we do that? I remember about 14 or 15 years ago, I was working an overtime assignment for the sheriff's department. It was at a bingo assignment. And uh, I was sitting there, and generally it's an easy assignment. Not a lot of goes on at bingo. Everybody there is generally 60 or 70 years old, and uh, not a lot of crime goes on. So it's an easy job. I'm sitting there at a bingo hall, and... uh, there's a lady and a, uh, two ladies sitting next to each other, and they're both in their maybe mid-70s or so. They're friends. They're nice. They remind me of my grandmother. They always say nice things to me, kind, gentle ladies. Well, they're playing bingo, and this one lady lights up a cigarette. She starts smoking it. And I'm watching as the bingo game's going on. Well, the, the other lady, kind, gentle, sweetheart, lady like my grandmother, pulls a fan out of her purse and sets it right here, turns that fan on and blows the smoke back into the other lady's face. So I'm watching this. You know, of course, I'm thinking this is going to get good. So so I can see the tension. First off, you don't interfere with bingo because they're they're there to win. Now there's fan going and there's smoke going, and I'm just watching because it's caught my attention. And then the next thing I know, I see them talking, and the lady with the cigarette throws the cigarette down and grabs the other lady by the hair, then they began to tussle. Two 70-year-old ladies now fighting at the bingo hall. I wish I was not there that night. <laughs> so, of course, I do what a police officer is supposed to do. I go up to them and I say, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am, break it up, break it up. And I'm trying to push them apart. And now they begin to push on me. The one lady that had the fan hits me in the back with the fan. Again, this is my grandmother. 
Don't hit me with the fan. Put the fan down. Put the fan down. That could be a deadly weapon. Put that thing down. The other lady, I'm trying to push her back, and she says, Is this how you get your kicks picking on old ladies? Now they've turned against me. And all I did was try to break up their fight. See, what I did is I had judged a book by its cover. Can't judge a book by its cover. That's what these Jewish leaders are doing. They're looking at Peter and John, and they're saying, Hey, these are ordinary guys, fishermen, blue-collar workers, untrained, uneducated. There's no way they could be used by God in this capacity. But yet, the things that they are preaching have power, authority. They're being used by God. They're confused. They're un- they don't understand. And I believe they're starting to get scared. And we see two things in verse 13. Apparently, the, the way they spoke indicated to these Jewish leaders that they were uneducated or untrained men. How, something that they said, however they spoke, maybe wasn't eloquent. Maybe it wasn't refined as much. You know, the very first time that I preached here, I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I don't like public speaking. I hate public speaking. I get so nervous. I get butterflies. I was in the bathroom this morning talking to Pastor Gary. I'm so nervous. The night before I came to preach, I took my son, TJ. He was maybe four or five years old. I snuck in the church about 10 o'clock at night. I said, TJ, you sit here and listen to this sermon. So I preached the sermon. And I wanted to practice my inflection and, and how I delivered. And, you know, do, do I say, and God says, or do I, do I say, God? You know, and I was trying to figure out how would it be best received. I've seen all these preachers preach. So I go through it. TJ gives me some good tips as best a kindergartner can do. And I go home, and uh, next morning I come into church, and I'm getting ready to preach. And this couple comes up to me, and they say, hey, we heard you preaching this morning. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, we loved your sermon last night. I said, what? They were in the prayer room doing prayer time and heard the whole thing. And I said, you know how embarrassing that is? Because I was practicing. You don't want anybody to hear you practicing. It's like standing in front of the mirror. I wondered if these men were refined in the way they spoke. I don't think so. And I think that's why these, these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders thought to themselves, these are uneducated, untrained men. How is it possible that they can speak with such authority? I think secondly, something else that they realized is that in the way they spoke, they spoke in such a manner that it was evident that they had actually been with Jesus. Not just heard of him, not just uh, received information from somebody else about his teachings. They spoke with authority. They spoke as eyewitnesses. And I wonder, when we speak of our Lord, is that how we sound? Do we sound confident, certain, without a doubt? When I'm sharing what the Word of God has been put on my heart to share, am I saying it as, this is what God's Word says, or am I saying, hey, I think it says this. Can I see that in my eyes? Am I convincing? I think if you believe it with all your heart, if you're sincere, then there's no way you can't be convincing because you believe it with all your heart. And we're to speak that way. We must believe what you say. If you do not believe what you see, then people will see the insincerity in your voice. They'll see the, the insincerity in your eyes. Have you heard this phrase, uh, do as I say, not as I do? That's the definition of a hypocrite, isn't it? When I was down in Florida, pastoring a church down there, I went house to house asking folks as we were doing our church plant, what's the number one reason why you don't come to a church? They said, because people in a church are hypocrites. I said, well... I hope that's not true. But I think sometimes it is. 
I believe if you say what's on your heart, you believe with all your heart what God's Word has said there, people will see the sincerity in your eyes. And they'll gravitate towards that. They'll be drawn to that. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees had realized that these men are uneducated, untrained men. Yes, Peter and John were uneducated, untrained men. But you know what else? That did not stop them from sharing what God had put on their hearts. That did not stop them from sharing the gospel. They, they didn't say, well, I don't know enough. I can't go out and do this. Or I'm not qualified enough. I can't go out and do this. Let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? Do you believe that he was buried, rose three days later, and is living today? If that's all that you know and that he's the only way to eternal life, if that's all that you know, tell them that. Or tell them your personal testimony of how you found Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But tell them something. Don't be silent. There's too much silence going on in the Christian community today. We can't be silent. We have to speak out. We've got to be bold. Peter and John, uh, Peter and John were being bold. They were speaking out against these Jewish leaders that crucified Jesus Christ. Not knowing if that could have been their same fate. But they were bold. But you know what? You know why sometimes it's hard to be bold in your faith? I think it's because so many of us are afraid of being judged or being labeled by the world. We don't want to make waves. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. But let me be very clear. When you're a child of God, when you're a child of the one true and living God, Jesus Christ said, you are not part of this world, so why do we so... Hard to, why do we try so hard to, to fit into the world when Jesus tells us, when you're with me, when you're my child, you're not part of this world. Don't try to fit in. It's not going to work. I shared this story before. When I was in high school, my school was broken down by two groups of people. You had those that liked Duran Duran and those that liked Michael Jackson. You were one or the other. We didn't have all these other different things. I wanted to fit in, and so my mom got me a nice Michael Jackson jacket with the little red uh, uh, lapels and clips. I got the parachute pants, and I got my white glove. One morning, I'm getting ready. I'm putting my jacket on. The song's going in my mind. You know the one. Beat it, beat it, that song. I'm going, that's going through my mind. I'm putting my parachute pants on and my, my parachute uh, uh, jacket and all that. Put the, the white leather glove, hopped on that bus, I was ready to fit in. Kids, don't do that. <laughs> you won't fit in. Don't try to fit in. If you have a Michael Jackson jacket, Ken Price, put that thing away. <laughs> Ken wanted my Michael Jackson jacket. I wouldn't give it to him. But what do you think about those Christians that were observing the boldness of Peter and John? They're being bold, they're standing for Jesus Christ, but there's a crowd there. They're seeing what's going on. What kind of impact do you think it had to them? Remember when the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? And while he's in prison, he's still praising God, he's still sharing the gospel. He's sharing the gospel to those Roman authorities that imprisoned him. And guess what happens? It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14... Paul says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, the other Christians saw this. They saw that Paul was being bold and sharing the gospel message. And because they saw this average, ordinary man doing something extraordinary, being used by God, because they saw his boldness, 
they were encouraged to go out and do the same thing. They were encouraged to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now listen to this. There's another part of verse 13 I want to look at. The fact that they realized Peter and John had been with Jesus, not heard of him, not just had knowledge of him, but actually had been with him, I wonder to myself, how could they have possibly known this? What characteristic about them let them know that they had been with Jesus Christ? You know, I think if you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, if you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, people are going to look at you and they're going to see something different. They're going to look into your eyes. They're going to hear what you say. They're going to see how you act. And it's going to be different. Because they see the rest of the world acting a certain way. But the things of God don't make sense to the world. And that's okay. That the things of, things of God don't make sense to the world. And so when you're a child of God, you're going to be different. And they're going to recognize that. Peter and John are standing there in front of these Jewish leaders. They're speaking as eyewitnesses. They had talked with Jesus Christ. They had walked with Him. They'd been in the presence of God. So you can imagine that they spoke with absolute authority and confidence and all boldness. And secondly, they had been used by God to do a mighty work of God. This lame man, this crippled man had been healed. And now he stood up and he was walking. And he was standing right there. They could not deny that miracle. You know something else? When I thought of this question, I thought how these Jewish leaders had known they had been with Jesus. I believe that when they spoke with authority, when they spoke without fear, and truly believed what they were saying, I believe because if you're faced with threats of death, if somebody comes up to you and says, Terry, do not talk about Jesus Christ, or you're going to get killed. You're going to die. That was a lie. If I was making the whole thing up, you know what I would say? Okay. I don't want to die. But they didn't do that. They stood the ground. They stood strong, regardless of potential threats of death. So what does that tell me? These men had seen something. They've actually walked with Jesus Christ because they believed it. And in the face of threats of death, they were not willing to back down. Would you die for a lie? Not me. These men were not backing down. Peter and John were not backing down. So listen to what it says here in verse 14. It says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, the Jewish leaders could say nothing against it. They could say nothing against this. This man was healed. It was evident that a miracle had been done. There was no way they could explain this away. There was no way they could claim that this did not happen. This man had been sitting at the temple gate for so long, people would have recognized that he was lame, that he was crippled. They would have recognized that this wasn't a scam. They would have recognized that this was a miracle of God. But you know what amazes me? What amazes me is that these Jewish leaders, even in the presence of a miracle of God, these religious leaders were so hardened that the moving of God wouldn't even stir their hearts to hear the truth. They were in denial. They were in denial because to accept the truth of what Peter and John were preaching would have meant that they would have had to change their lifestyle, wouldn't it? They would have had to have changed things. But you know what else? It would have meant that they would have had to have accept the fact that they had crucified the Son of God. That's a hard pill to swallow. So they're in denial now. 
We saw a miracle. What can we do about this? Can, can we hide it? Can we, can we pretend like it didn't happen? So many people have seen it. This man, we, he was healed. He's, he's standing right there. We can't explain this away. Listen to what it says in verse 15 and 16. It says, But when they had commanded them to go aside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They're scheming. They're, they're trying to figure out what can we do. How do we deal with what has just happened? There's too many witnesses now. How can we explain this way? And here's what I love about this. Try as the world might. Try as the world might. It cannot explain away the miracles of God. Now the world will try to do something else. It will try to minimize the miracles of God, won't it? I believe that's true today. The world might say, you know what? That's not a baby. That's just a, a bunch of cells coming together. The world might say, you know that sun up there? That's just gas and plasma. The world might say, hey, see that ocean over there? That's just hydrogen and oxygen atoms. Or, or you see that moon up there? Yeah, we've been there. It's just dirt and rocks. The world will try to minimize the miracles of God. And, the, and, and my response to that is, are you kidding me? These are miracles of God. Miracles of God are all around us, and His presence is clear. No matter how the world might try and say that there is, is no God, no matter how hard it might try to declare that, the bottom line is it cannot because God is evident in all creation. And you know what else? In His people, there is a capacity for a love and compassion that can only come from a loving God, not from a cold, dark world created by accident. There is a God. These Jewish leaders were in denial. And here's what it says in verse 17 and 18. It says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach the name of Jesus. Now they, they wanted them to stop saying Jesus. I was invited to, to do the invocation and benediction at a high school in Clay County, Florida, about five or six years ago, the assistant principal came up to me and she said, Pastor Terry, during the invocation and benediction, can you say things like, uh, in his name or heavenly father, which we got a lot of other faiths there. We don't want to really say, you know, Jesus, we don't want to offend somebody. I was stoic. Okay. I didn't agree. And when I went up to preach or to, to do the prayers, I said, and Jesus says this, and Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then Jesus did that. And then I did an invitation. Because if somebody tells you not to say the name of Jesus Christ, say it back into them as loud as you can. Do not deny him. Do not deny his name. And that's what these Jewish leaders are trying to do. They're trying to stop them from saying the name of Jesus. They're trying to stop them from spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to do everything they can. You see, they realize they cannot beat them. They can't put them in prison. They can't silence them because so many people I'd see this mighty working of God. So all they can do is severely threaten them. Now, a severe threat to me means bodily injury or even death. And remember, these were the same men that crucified Jesus Christ. As far as Peter and John knew, this could have meant truly death. But I want you to notice something here. 
As God moved in the presence of this crowd, the governing authority of that day lost its authority because it was in opposition to God. Remember, they could have crucified them. They could have done these things to them. They could have publicly tortured them, but they couldn't because the crowd saw God moving. Now all they had left was threats. They thought that their bullying tactics or their threats could invoke fear in these men and that they potentially would turn away from what they believed. You know, and I wonder, are we seeing the same in America today? In our country, you know, there are many that would say that the freedoms of your faith are not guaranteed anymore, especially if it offends somebody. Well, I'm sorry. We're all sinners. God's word is going to offend you. Get over it. It's going to happen. There are some who would say the principles of faith that guided this founding of this country are just outdated and reminiscent of a time long ago. That's not true. They would say you can't speak about things that are are politically incorrect. You can't pray in certain places. The value of a child's life is subject to interpretation. You can't declare the name of Jesus Christ in public. You might even go to jail if you don't obey a law of man that is clearly in opposition to the law of God. I'm convinced that what we are seeing going on in our country today is because the majority is silent. And the minority is like that little dog just barking like a little chihuahua. Bark, bark, bark. Trying to get their point out. The Jewish leaders had no idea of the mighty movement of God that was taking place. And now this little barking dog is trying to stop the power of God. And they are witnessing firsthand what God can do through the power of his chosen people. And if you ask me, I believe it's right here that they're really starting to shake in their boots. They're really starting to realize that all their efforts, everything they did, they crucified Jesus Christ, is falling apart. I think they're realizing that they've lost that battle. You see, the average and the ordinary have no place in their order of things. And if you were were not one of them, then you were considered inconsequential. But what they're learning right now is that you cannot stop the will of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? In Acts chapter 5, a Pharisee named Gamaliel said regarding the disciples, he said, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. In a desperate attempt, these these Jewish authorities, the governing body of the day, were trying to intimidate Peter and John, not realizing that they were going up against the power of God, not realizing that they were going up against Christians who were sold out for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and not realizing in God... The ordinary is always extraordinary. There was absolutely nothing they could do about it. Verse 19 and 20 says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter and John are making it clear that God is the absolute authority here. Not these Jewish leaders. And they declare that, hey, we are simply speaking the truth. We are simply speaking things that we have seen firsthand. We have seen the miracles of God. And they walk with Jesus. 
So when they had further threatened them, it says, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Now here our text concludes with a very clear image of these Jewish leaders barking at the disciples, severely threatening, because that's all they could do. Their authority was gone because this crowd was so encouraged and so motivated by the working of God. God was moving and there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. Jesus had accomplished his mission and now, now like an unstoppable force, these ordinary men, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used by God, are standing up to the highest worldly powers of the day and they're declaring this, I will not stop. I will not be stifled. I will not deny him. I will not disobey him. I will put my trust in him. I will not stop declaring his name. And I will not be afraid. You see, the bottom line here is we expect the ordinary, but we don't expect the ordinary to do the amazing. However, as a child of God, there is nothing ordinary about you. You're extraordinary. That has never been God's plan. God from the outset has chosen ordinary people, everyday common people to do his work on earth. Think of Moses. He came from tending sheep in the desert to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. King David was a shepherd. Daniel came out of slavery and captivity in Babylon to become the assistant to the king of Babylon. Gideon was considered the least of his men. The the apostles Peter and John had previously been fishermen, blue-collar workers. They were all ordinary men being used by God to do a mighty work. And what does that tell me? It tells me God can use me too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And Matthew Henry said regarding this text here, he said, When God calls people, he tends not to call the wise, influential, of noble birth. But rather, in his great wisdom, God chooses to use the weak, the lowly, the despised. And why did God do that? So that no one may boast before him. You see, God does not need our own strength. If it were otherwise, we'd be tempted to boast, wouldn't we? But when God uses what the world calls foolish, when God uses the weak, the lowly, or despised, then God receives all the glory. I hope today that we can take with us these few truths. That God wants to use you no matter what your background is. No matter your education. No matter how bad a sinner you are. No matter how much money you make or your position in life. God can use you to do greater things than you could ever imagine. You just need to be willing. You just need to submit to Him and say, God, I'm willing to be used by you in a mighty way. And the bottom line is this. If you're a child of God, you're anything but ordinary. You are absolutely extraordinary. And our country today needs the extraordinary now more than ever. 
If the needs of the, the people of God, if we got together and we stood up, we could change this country. If we stood up and said enough is enough, if we drew a line in the sand to stand up what's for right, we could make a change right now. We just got to do it. You know, I used to think the biggest impact I could make for our country was by immersing myself in politics and the political system. Problem is, you cannot legislate morality, no matter how hard you try. You can't force people to be good. Now, you have to get involved, and you've got to get out and you get a vote. That's true. But I've been asked over and over again, and I've given this a lot of thought, what can I do? How can I make a difference? The answer is right here in our text today. Tell the world about Jesus Christ. Preach it, live it, love it, embody it. And if the world wants to shame you, if they want to threaten you, even if they want to beat you, as they wanted to do to Peter and John, I want you to stand tall, I want you to stand confident, and I want you to stare intently into the eyes of someone that's telling you that you should deny Jesus. And I want you to tell them, I will never deny him. Let your voice be heard loud and clear. Proclaim the glory of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And no matter what the threat is, no matter the challenge, the obstacle, whatever it may be in your way, remember that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So what does that mean for us in this room today? It means God has empowered you to change the world, to glorify Him. God has empowered everyone in this room to do great things for Him. And if you want to make a difference, you got to see people's hearts changed. And there's only one person to do that, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But the first thing you need to do is you need to be right with Him. And we're going to go into our time of invitation here. And I would encourage you to think about that point. First off, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We're in the business of glorifying Him when we're His children. To be a child of God, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins. That He was buried. He arose three days later. He's living today. And the only way to eternal life is through Him. There is no other way. If you've never made that decision, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to come forward today. Pastor Gary will be up here. Uh, other deacons and, and pastors will be up here. Let us pray with you. And let us celebrate with you the most important decisions you'll ever make in your entire life. And maybe you're also wanting to join this church. You're looking around the room and you're saying, I want to be part of this family. Come forward and let us celebrate with you in that fact as well. But don't leave today without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior.